God, it's hard to find peace in the sirens or in the shots ringing out or in the buildings colliding with the ground or even in the silence cause we're so used to it loud we pray for peace singing out there's protests in the street the city next to mine A young man dead and bloody No solace here to find All they want is justice Not just us to focus on It takes more than only knowing Right from wrong But God, it's hard to find peace In the sirens or in the shots ringing out Or in the buildings
Thank you so much for tuning in for another episode of the podcast. This is Emmett Wachowski-Eldred, one of the hosts of the show. You, like me, probably have so much on your mind right now. This was already a frightening and unsettling time for so many of us, and now we have turned, importantly, over the past two weeks to stare straight into the ugly depths to which racism has penetrated every single aspect of our lives, of our communities, of our churches as well as our own psyches, our own hearts, our own actions, most especially those of us who are white. In this moment, of course, we have our eyes on our criminal legal system in particular. It is impossible, in my mind at least, to have watched the video of a white man kneeling on the neck of a black man for nearly nine minutes while he pleaded for his life and eventually died and not to come away from that experience knowing deep to the core of your knowledge that something is so fundamentally rotten and broken. But even if witnessing the murder of George Floyd is the clarifying moment for our society that I pray it might be, leading to real, lasting change to unwind systemic racism, we also must name and own that this is not an aberration. This is not something that we can just swiftly denounce and just as quickly pass over. This is a crystallizing moment, a snapshot of exactly what this country is and was created to be, a racist society where white supremacy strangles the breath out of brown and black bodies simply because it has the power to do so. We need only look at the endless list of names to add to George Floyd's. Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, Tony McDade, and so, so many more. But we can just as equally look at the rates of contraction and death of COVID-19, which disproportionately falls on black people. At the rates and deaths of preventable and chronic illnesses, which disproportionately fall on black people on the rates of poverty, of hunger, of incarceration, or we can look to their opposites of wealth, of education, of employment. And we know that the church is far from immune. No, it is complicit. It is active in this problem. Many of us in the Church of the Brethren are reminded of this every single Sunday when we walk into our congregations, In so many of those congregations, we are met by only predominantly white faces. But it goes so much deeper than that, too. The church, both as a global institution and the Church of the Brethren, which is called to witness and bring forth God's upside-down kingdom on earth, where the powerful are brought low and the broken are made whole, tragically, in so many instances, it opts to do just the opposite of those things. It chooses to align itself with might and power and dominance, with white supremacy. Obeying our call to follow Jesus must mean, if it means anything, being anti-racist. 
but our formation as disciples is constantly challenged by the blowing headwinds of living in a racist society, of participating in racist institutions, of carrying racist thoughts and ideas and behaviors that are so deeply internalized that we seldom realize that they are even there. And we feel deep pain and vulnerability when they are exposed or pointed out to us. Trying to see and hear and follow Jesus as if it wasn't already hard enough only becomes that much harder when the radical implications of his extraordinary ministry and sacrifice are hidden from us by church institutions that benefit from racism and so serve it rather than serving God and God's people. These are hard, painful things to hear and to say. And it is only natural to feel vulnerable and fragile when we dare to speak them, or when we're forced to confront them when we'd really rather not. That's why I am grateful, so, so grateful for today's podcast episode, which responds to the moment we are in by lifting up the voice of two leaders in the church who are trying to form the church to be disciples, which means to be anti-racist. Drew Hart is a professor of theology at Messiah College in Pennsylvania, and he's the author of Trouble I've Seen, Changing the Way the Church Views Racism. He's also the author of the forthcoming book, Who Will Be a Witness? Igniting Activism for God's Justice, Love, and Deliverance. You can, and you should, purchase both of his books by visiting heraldpress.com. LaDonna Nkosi is the director of Intercultural Ministries for the Church of the Brethren, and she was the planting pastor of The Gathering, a community of prayer and service in Chicago's Hyde Park. Josiah Ludwig is the associate pastor of the Harrisburg First Church of the Brethren in Pennsylvania, where Drew also attends. Josiah speaks with both Drew and LaDonna about the response put forward by his congregation, a statement that Drew helped to write. It is a statement of solidarity, of confession, of repentance, and crucially of public and concrete commitments that the congregation will make to work to unwind racism and bring forth God's kingdom. For this podcast, it serves as a jumping off point for Drew and LaDonna to share a little bit more about what it means to be disciples of Christ, which means being anti-racist. Dunker Punks. Uh, this is Pastor Josiah Ludwig from Harrisburg First Church of the Brethren, and uh, been asked to do a series on uh, some uh, social justice issues. And we had planned initially to um, do an episode around uh, my family's time in Rwanda and what God is doing there. But given uh, sort of the state of things in the country today, we thought it would be a little bit tone deaf to do a social justice podcast and, and ignore uh, what's happening all around us. So we decided to, to shift gears and uh, do something a little bit different than was planned. That Rwanda episode will um, come out um, maybe in a month or so. So be on the lookout for that. Um, instead, I've uh, thought that we could discuss something that has come about at my church, Harrisburg First Church of the Brethren, recently. Um, We have a discernment team, and uh, it's a team that has been meeting um, for a little over a year, I'd say. And uh, 
at our last meeting, uh, we just, we couldn't help but discuss um, all that's been happening throughout the country. And um, it was thought that we should uh, come up with a, a statement um, as a congregation um, that was then brought before our board and approved, and then our church council as well. And some of you may have seen it already. Just thought we should discuss that and the implications of it today, and uh, hopefully it'll be um, an enriching time for you. I'm being joined um, by um, a good friend, uh, professor of theology at Messiah College, also the author of Trouble I've Seen, as well as the upcoming uh, Who Will Be a Witness?, Activism for God's Justice, Love, and Deliverance. He's a father that lives just up the street from me. Um, a good friend, Drew Hart, is with us today. Thanks a lot for being with us, Drew. And uh, I just appreciate your time and uh, um, interest in digging into some of this with us today. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I'm glad to be here and to discuss this. This is really important, and we've got to make space for these kind of conversations in the church. Amen to that. Amen to that. So I thought uh, sort of the, the way to start would be for those who haven't seen it yet, um, just to hear um, the statement that, again, it, it came about as a result of some conversations that a group was having. Um, and then I think it was you, Drew, that kind of took those conversations and put them to paper um, in a very eloquent way. So I thought it'd be um, helpful for people to hear uh, you read the statement. Yeah, absolutely. So this is our Black Lives Matter statement from Harrisburg First Church of the Brethren. It says, as followers of Jesus, we stand in solidarity with our black brothers and sisters enduring racial violence and systemic oppression. We denounce anti-black racism resulting in police brutality, mass incarceration and unjust legal systems that disproportionately harm black and brown people. We denounce the evil principalities and powers that work in our world that seek to kill, steal, and destroy people made in the image of God. As a congregation, we commit to doing justice and peacemaking in the way of Jesus. For the times we as a church have been complacent about the suffering of others, we confess our complicity. By God's grace, we repent and courageously align ourselves with the Spirit's activity in the Messiah's reign on earth. And in obedience to God, we seek to set things right where every valley is lifted up and every mountain is made low. Jesus teaches us how to struggle against oppression through his example of standing in solidarity with those who were considered the least and the last in his society. And because Jesus affirmed that poor people's lives mattered, that Samaritans' lives mattered, and the lives of those crucified by Rome mattered, we affirm that black and brown lives matter too and are precious to God. As a congregation, we commit to deepening our faithfulness to Jesus through holy listening, through intentional learning, and through discerning congregational public action. Bullet one, as a congregation, we commit to creating intentional intergenerational space where the stories of our black, brown, and brothers, our black and brown brothers and sisters are received with love. In line with God's upside down kingdom, we will encourage marginalized stories to be centered while inviting those in the dominant culture to step back and be slow to speak and quick to listen. Specifically, we will make space for this congregational practice immediately after we return to worshiping together in our building. As a congregation, we commit to deepening our understanding of the history and present systems of racism in the United States, as well as the complicity of the Western church in the legacy of white supremacy. We will study the history, 
our present society, and the theological implications of racism and its ties to the church. Specifically, our congregation will begin with Jamar Tisby's The Color of Compromise video series. We will follow that up with ongoing learning. We will grow in our understanding of what it means to be an intentionally and actively anti-racist church. Finally, we commit to taking public action because we are called to do justice, love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. Just as Jesus spent most of his time out in the streets of Galilee, serving and living in solidarity with the poor and vulnerable, we too seek to take action that makes the story, the Jesus story visible to those who have their backs against the wall. Specifically, we commit to ongoing discernment as a congregation about what, what public actions, community partnerships, and organizing efforts in our neighborhood we will participate in. We know that faith without works is dead and discipleship requires a love willing to respond to the suffering of others. We pray for a prophetic witness that pleases God and participates in seeing justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever flowing stream. Amen. Amen. Now, one of the things I wanted to do today is stated right there, getting out of the way and listening and learning. Um, so I just want to ask you a few questions and uh, if you could just school us a little bit. What were some of the key things that came up in the team's conversations that um, we all thought, you know, it's really important to include some of these things in the statement? Yeah, um, I guess the one of the first things that was obvious to me as a part of the discernment team was um, that we wanted to make a clear statement that expressed our solidarity with um, Black people in this moment. And so, I mean, that's really where I start off, right? Right from the beginning in terms of how I wrote that, um, that as followers of Jesus, we stand in solidarity with our Black brothers and sisters, that that was the, the, the tone that we wanted to set and to not equivocate on that, not to kind of skirt around that, but just to be very clear. And so hopefully um, starting there kind of um, sets you know, just the atmosphere for everything else that's going to come after it. Um, but also, it's, you know, it's easy to make statements. A lot of people right now are making statements. You got large corporations making Black Lives Matter <laughs> statements. Um, yeah. And some of them do so in ways that are deeply hypocritical. And, and in some ways, all of us, like, no one is perfect. And, and in many ways, congregations, even congregations that are committed to justice, are not like outside of the problem in some ways, we're all complicit in various ways. Mm -hmm. and, all, and we believe that Christians ought to be able to confess our shortcomings, even if we are on a journey that maybe others haven't yet joined yet, right? Mm -hmm. So the next portion of the, of the statement really gets into confession, right? Acknowledging yeah. sometimes we're complicit and sometimes we've been too complacent, right? Mm -hmm. And so this is kind of like an opportunity to be a wake up call, even for us, right? That this is very serious. This is life and death right here. Um, and if we can't, you know, um, demonstrate our solidarity in definitive ways, 365 days out of the year, then we've also got a beer. It's easy to point the finger at right. the, you know, the, the bad people, the bad cops and everything out there. <laughs> but, but what does it mean for Christians to confess our own complicity? And so I think that that was important that we express that as well. And along with that then is basic Christian practice, right? That we articulate in this statement, which is, you not only confess, but then you repent, right? And so we name that repentance, that we're committed to something else, that there's new ways to align with what God is doing in the world that we want to join and be a part of. And so that's also expressed um, in that main section of the piece. And then finally, um, the other thing that we see in there is um, 
really connecting the dots, right? Because I think what people are struggling to see in the church is a connection between what's this Black Lives Matter movement all about? What's happening and unfolding in the streets, all these uprisings and frustrations that are happening in the streets. And even some people are uncomfortable with the particularity of naming Black people and how Black lives matter, right? That still seems to be contentious for some. And so we wanted to not only name that, but to connect what what that has to do with Christian discipleship as well, right? Mm -hmm. And so, and that's why we expressly stated, you know, number one, that Jesus, he shows us the way, you know, in fact, Jesus in Luke 19 says, if only they had known the things that make for peace, right? There's Mm -hmm. a particular way in which he invites us to do peacemaking and to pursue justice, Um, and to love on our neighbors. Um, He models and embodies that for us, and we've got to follow his example. And so precisely at that point, then, we can think about how Jesus in his own ministry affirmed that poor people's lives mattered, right? Mm -hmm. That Jesus in his ministry affirmed that that Samaritans' lives mattered, and he went through Samaria rather than around it and used Samaritans as key central figures Um, in a way that would have been really disruptive for the Jewish imagination at that time. Um, And and he also affirms that crucified people's lives mattered, right? People executed, uh, given state-sanctioned executions, that they matter too, because God took on flesh um, Mm -hmm. as a poor Palestinian Jew who clashed with the establishment and was given a state-sanctioned execution, crucifixion. And in doing so, God identifies literally with the crucified of the world. Mm -hmm. And if God can affirm that poor people's lives matter, that Samaritans' lives matter, that the crucified of the world matter, right? Um, Then there's no reason why the church can't uh, confidently and courageously affirm and speak out the truth that black people's lives are precious and that black lives matter too. Um, and so we wanted to make that as clear as possible that this is about our Christian discipleship. This is not just a trend um, that our faith, the good news of Jesus Christ, the one that Jesus said he came to preach good news to the poor, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that explicit, explicitly naming um, particular communities that have been vulnerable have been a part of the ministry of Jesus. And so because we're followers of Jesus, we need to figure out what that means and what that, how that translates into our society today. Mm, amen. Amen. I think I love that uh, courageously, you know, yeah, yeah. We're, not, we're not over here in the shadow, like whispering about this. Like, that's right. We can be assured that, that this is what Jesus would have us do. That's right. Um, and I think, you know, words can be cheap sometimes. And like yeah. you said, a lot of a lot of uh, even organizations, you know, multinational big businesses are putting out these statements and and things. Um but that has to be backed up with action too, right? And so I want to ask you, why is it important um, that there, there's more than just words at the top, but there are several commitments um, at the end of this statement? Yeah, I mean, I think the reason why we had to go there is because, I mean, right now it's, it's performative, right, to just put out statements. Uh, there's a lot of, you know, woker than thou folks walking around <laughs> and everybody's got statements and it's fine. There's, there's a place for public statements. It's not that that in and of itself is a problem, but, but it becomes cheapened when we don't actually embody in our own lives and, and work out in our own lives, what that actually means. And so it's, it becomes really cheap and easy to make statements um, that don't actually have consistency 
and, and we don't actually have integrity with the kind of lives that we're committed to and that we live out every day. And so as a church, you know, we don't want to be that kind of hypocritical church that makes these flowery statements that have nothing to do with our everyday lives. And so we've got to do the work. Um, and so these statements commit, again, it's, it's pushing against just being woker than thou and those kind of easy kind of postures that are popular, maybe especially in progressive Christ, Christian circles. And instead, as disciples of Jesus, we're trying to work out what it means to actually um, live faithfully as anti-racist Christians on the grounds every day together uh, as followers of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And it also gives sort of uh, uh, areas where people can hold us accountable. You said That's you right. were going to do this. You said you were going to do that. Right. Well, where, where is it? Right. We've got to follow through now. It's on paper, right? It's a yeah, commitment exactly. that we've made, a public commitment. And so um, the whole congregation has opportunity to hold all of us accountable to what we've committed and affirmed. Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's look at a couple of those commitments. Um, the, the first one has to do with creating space um, to allow people to share their stories. Um, why, why is it important for our church and really for any church to, to have space like that? Yeah, I mean, I guess th- this is where it comes down to like actually making, uh, bringing Christian practice into play, right? Again, it's easy to float ideas. So anybody can say, oh yeah, we're part of the upside down kingdom. But then how does that actually get fleshed and manifested in actual real ways, right? And so this idea of sharing stories was to centralize uh, the stories of those who've been marginalized in our communities, who are part of our community. And it's not necessarily that no one's story has ever gets to be told, but, but we, we haven't necessarily created a practice, right, in which we can kind of centralize those stories, in which they can be a gift for the entire congregation. And in so doing so, we actually live out the fact that Jesus called us to make that the first be last and the last be first. And for, um, you know, in James, the, the idea that you'd be uh, uh, slow to speak and quick to listen, right? What does it mean to take those who've often been on the margins and to centralize them? That actually makes gives practice to the reign of God in our lives. And so it's really important. And, and in some ways then, um, in the same way that Jesus responds uh, to, to the vulnerable woman on the street that stops him, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in the same way that he does that, um, it then makes her lived experience a sacred gift for, for not only him and others around him, but on, ongoing that we all benefit from hearing these stories of, of God working in their lives. And so um, we've got this opportunity to also then slow down, create space, where um, these stories can be shared and they can be treasured and, and recognized to, to have some sacred worth to these lived experiences that can be transformative for our whole entire community. And so it's actually really exciting that we're going to, you know, create intentional practice, right? I mean, it could have been easy for us to say, yeah, let's try to be more thoughtful about hearing people's stories and we just move on, but we don't actually say we're going to commit to a practice. And so I loved that our discernment group decided we're going to actually um, create space and that we're, that, I mean, the, the, the language of the group was immediately once we get out from, um, from meeting, you know, online to going back to in person, that's one of the first things that we're going to be doing. So we can hold ourselves accountable to that, right, to that actual practice of creating this space where these stories can really be heard um, and it can be transformative for all of us. Mm-hmm. And I really love uh, the, the last Zoom uh, Sunday Bible study we had, 
um, even just prior to writing this statement, when Jared was leading us, mm-hmm. um, you know, how he intentionally said, okay, some of y'all are used to talking. Yeah. You know, it's time for you to listen now. And we want to ask, you know, some of these voices that aren't always heard to speak first. And yeah. so he, he modeled that for us. Um, yeah. You know, and me, that's a practice that we, cause we're, we're actually doing a book study right now online. And so that's how we frame all of our zoom studies. Right. Um, well, I use the language of step back, step forward, right? Mm-hmm. Those who usually are stepping forward first step back. Those who usually are waiting on the edge, you get to step forward. And then we explicitly say women of color, especially and people of color in general, like we're inviting you to speak up first, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and this is, and we actually, the first few weeks, we actually had routinely, um, part of the time was just women of color saying, wow, I've never felt so honored in a space. I've never felt so heard um, because of not only just that moment, but just even how we break into small groups. That that's just the ethos of that the atmosphere that's been created for conversation. And so I think that we've got to make um, concrete practices um, rather than just, lofty ideas that never get fleshed out. Yeah. Right. Right. Good stuff. And um, then that second one, um, I remember we were, we were talking in the group about, um, you know, educating ourselves and how, you know, what would be a good, you know, resource to start with. And I'm I'm pretty sure it was you that spoke up about Jamar Tisby's work. Um, And so why specifically that work and, um, why is it important to seek out resources like that? Yeah, um, you know, I could have, you know, I, at one point I, I was almost going to even mention my own book. Then I was like, you know, <laughs> I, which I do all the time, right? And I, I often tell people that's the introductory place into these conversations. But I actually thought that for our conversation as a church, that some of what will actually be helpful um, is actually getting just a deeper understanding of the history of the church as it relates to race and racism, right? I think that, I don't know if, if everyone's fully aware of the depth and the role that the church has played in perpetuating racism from slavery up to the present day. And so um, I think that that'll be really helpful. And so that's what Tisby's work does. I mean, in some ways, um, you know, a lot of what he teaches is like common knowledge for scholars, but like most people don't have access to it. And so you have this really accessible way of teaching um, American history as it relates to race and racism and how it unfolds and particularly the role that the church plays in it. Right. Mm. Um, and, and so by making it so accessible, I think that is just a great resource for us to be able to dialogue on. And because he now has these videos um, on Amazon prime as well, um, most of them around 20 minutes. I mean, it just makes it easy for these kind of conversations. And so um, you know, other churches are going to want to, you know, maybe start with a theological. I feel like our church, at least some of those things get said from the pulpit already. So it's not that we can't go deeper in that way, but mm-hmm. some of that gets said in, from the pulpit. Um, but but to unpack some of that history is extra work that I think that could be really helpful for our conversations. And I think um, it will spark a broader imagination for other ways um, that we can, you know, I think people will, once you begin to see this stuff, then all of a sudden everything looks differently, you know? And I think that that's what that foundation of history. And, and like they say, you know, you can't, you don't move forward until you know where you came from. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think we've got to have a better sense of where we've come from. And then we can have a better idea of where we actually need to go moving forward. Right. And then for, for some of us in the church, it'll help us to have a better picture for, what that complicity really looks like, right? right? And then right. that'll lead us to 
a better sense of what we're actually confessing and then our actual repentance will mean something instead of just kind of broad, you know, ideology. And it'd be easier along with that, and it's easier than to not be as complicit in today's world in new forms. Because if you've seen these patterns before, then you're a little bit aware of, you're like, oh, I've seen that that curveball before, right? I know what to do now. But if you've never Mm -hmm. seen it before, then you're caught off guard because you forgot that it's been around for a long time. So yeah. Right, right, good stuff. All right, and then the last piece there um, is around public action. Um, And that's certainly a big part of our hopes and dreams uh, around that table, that discernment team. Um, why, why is that piece particularly important? Yeah, I mean, it was uh, very clear in our conversations together that, you know, in fact, it, you could almost feel the tension of statement versus action, right? Mm-hmm. And what, what are we going to do? What are we, how are we going to respond to this? And it wasn't clear necessarily that it was always just going to be a statement. There might not have end up, ended up being a statement, right? I mean, right around how do we respond? What are we going to do as a congregation? How do we demonstrate our solidarity? And so um, this this uh, last point was that we've got to take seriously what it means to engage. And, and to be clear, like there are people in our congregation that are doing some of these things, mm-hmm. but how do we discern together as a congregation and say like, these are things that we as a full congregation are backing and, and encouraging and want to support and, and make visible the church in the public square having a prophetic witness um, towards calling for justice, right? So that justice can roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. And so we've got this opportunity to engage in the public square. And and if you think about it, I mean, Jesus's ministry, majority of his time was not in the synagogues. That's not what we get, right? The majority of what we get is him out in the streets. Mm -hmm. And then it really climaxes with his confrontation with the Jewish establishment. He shuts that thing down, right? He's, Jesus was a protester. Jesus was a disruptor of the status quo. Um, we don't, somehow we've diluted and watered down the Jesus story from what it actually is, that he says he's heading to Jerusalem. He confronts them. He tells his disciples before he gets there, take up your cross, right? I mean, you got to count the cost and be willing to die for what's about to go down. Right. Because we're about to, we're about to clash, right? Mm-hmm. And then he goes into the, the establishment he calls them a den of thieves. He takes over that space. And then they and then we're told that the, the establishment plots and conspires to kill him, right? Mm-hmm. So that's the story. And, and so we're invited to follow in the way of Jesus, to bear witness to this radical love, this revolutionary right. love on behalf of our neighbors, um, that is not good enough to just be comfortable and, and concerned about if we're doing well, We've got to be concerned that shalom is being is bursting into our world, that that our neighbors, especially those who are most vulnerable, are flourishing as well. And so it demands that we join and participate in God's deliverance in the world. And so it's really important that that the church, uh, all churches, all congregations have to reflect and discern how we can take action in the midst of what's going on. And I think until we get there, um, no church should be saying Oh, if I we were here in the '60s, we would have done it. So no, because most churches don't even have a theology and a discernment around taking public action. So it's really important, I think, that we did this, and I'm really grateful that we did. And I hopefully encourage other churches to consider um, that kind of radical work as well. Yeah, amen. So um, there's a word towards the end of the the second bullet there um, that I know some people in this work have used this word a lot. Um, but some people don't fully understand it. So I was wondering if you could break down um, what, what does it 
what is anti-racist and being an anti-racist church even like what does that what does that mean yeah so the the big idea i guess the easiest way to say it first is is to recognize that we have centuries of white supremacy in our nation, like history, right? It has deeply shaped and embedded so many of our ideas. Even how we tell our national story is Mm -hmm. shaped by, it's like diluted so that we tell it in this really triumphalistic way and ignore the ugly aspects of how um, literally our country was built on uh, indigenous genocide, forcible removal, uh, erasure, right, of their memory in many parts of the country, as well as slavery, the enslavement of African people, um, then after that, um, convict leasing system, sharecropping, chain gangs, peonage, right? Jim Crow, racial terrorism, all this stuff. And then more recently, um, mass incarceration, increased budgets around policing. And, you know, we've grown the largest uh, prison system the world, in fact, world history has ever seen, and it disproportionately impacts black and brown people along with other poor people and people with mental handicaps and and, mm-hmm. and, and challenges. And so what we've seen here is um, how race has deeply shaped people's lives, education, access to health care, jobs, livable wages, you know, all these things are deeply shaped by race, our landscape, what neighborhoods people live in, what churches they go to, what what spaces people go into or don't go into, right? Uh, deeply shaped by race. And so we're deeply, deeply racialized as a society. And so what it means to be an anti-racist, then it's, it's, not, it's not good enough to try to, to just talk about, oh, I'm not racist. There's no just not racist when our whole society is so deeply immersed in racism. Um, that you might not be explicitly like a white supremacist like member like neo-Nazi or whatever, but the only way to 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 have any integrity in such a in such a racialized history with our legacy and how it has deeply shaped our society is to be intentionally anti-racist. So that means you're going in the opposite direction. Um, it's like a, a moving escalator, right? If you're just standing still, you're still moving. You've got to be going in the opposite direction if you want to make any ground. And so similar with anti-racist, that's what it means is, is if white supremacy and racism have gotten so entangled in the life of the church for centuries, right? In ways that sometimes we are not even aware of. And hopefully studies like The Color of Compromise in my book, Trouble I've Seen, can help people begin to see that. And even my new book helps people see that as well, that if that if we don't actually recognize it, we've got to actually be intentional and be anti-racist. And so um, Christian discipleship is incompatible with racism, whether it means that explicit neo-Nazi racism, but it also is incompatible with apathy towards racism in society as well. It's not an apathetic tradition, right? Mm -hmm. Jesus is the exact opposite of that. He calls us um, to care about the poor and oppressed, the least, last, and lost of society. And so we've got to figure out how to be faithful in the way of Jesus in the midst of our society. And you can't do that without being anti-racist. Well, Drew, I appreciate you um, spending time with us today, walking us through this statement and uh, everybody be sure to look. If you haven't um, yet found the book trouble I've seen, get out there and get that one. And the new one is coming. You can pre-order the new one already, right? Yeah. Pre-order the new one. Who will be a witness? You can get it on, Harold Press's website, Amazon, or pretty much anywhere books are sold. And I think I neglected to say at the top that Drew's also co-hosting 
the Inverse podcast with Jared McKenna. So you should seek that one out too. It's just a, a really beautiful way of uh, digging into the scriptures and using them the way that they were intended uh, to upset the status quo, as, as Drew had mentioned earlier in our talk today. So thanks a lot for your time, brother, and uh, we'll catch you later. All right, thank you. joined now uh, by a dear sister of mine. She's a a church planter, a poet, writer. Uh, She's the pastor and founder of The Gathering Chicago. Um, Most recently, she's taken a position as the director of intercultural ministries with the Church of the Brethren. And when I say uh, a kindred spirit, um, I, I can't overstate it to say that when we talk, um, my spirit within me just kind of jumps for joy. And you can hear the smile on my face uh, when I get to uh, hang out with my dear sister. Uh, and we're joined today by LaDonna Nkozi. And so thank you, sister, so much for joining us today. Well, greetings and peace, Josiah. So good to be with you and so good to greet all our brothers and sisters here at uh, all our Dunker Punks fam. Um, it's good to be with you. Thank you so much for inviting me to join you. I'm so, so happy for the excuse to hang out, LaDonna. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So um, essentially, I just wanted to um, give you a, a chance to, to respond sort of to the, the statement. I, I know I, I sent you the statement that First Church of the Brethren in Harrisburg put out last week, and we've had some conversation around that. Um, but I'd love for you to just be able to respond, like, what was your uh, kind of takeaway? How did you feel about it upon reading it? All that sort of stuff. Okay. Well, um, you texted over to me, and I have to tell you, when I opened it, I was like, I read it with great joy. And then as a scholar, uh, an activist, and a follower of Jesus, I just, I really had to print it out and check it out to the fullness. So I really encourage everybody to get a copy and see it for yourself. See what speaks to you, um, what speaks to you in your context, what you can grab onto. Um, What stood out to me the most is the first sentence. And if it's okay, I just want to read it. I know it says, um, as followers of Jesus, we stand in solidarity with our Black brothers and sisters, enduring racial violence and systemic oppression. Mm. Now, it's, there's so much here, but in the whole statement, but I just want to say first, as followers of Jesus, I think sometimes in these times, um, of course, the heart of Jesus, which is in us, it, it, it causes us to to feel, to be concerned, to want to reach out, to feel like maybe we have no clue what to do, but we should do something. But then in the context of the culture, there's all this us and them. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm this political belief and that political belief, or I'm this and I'm that. And um, so much causes us to say and do nothing. Mm-hmm. But as followers of Jesus, which that just causes us out right there, Um, We have an assignment in these times and every church, every follower of Jesus has a role to play. And all of our roles are not the same. Um, 
but we each have a role to play. So I just really appreciated that you all reminded us of that at the beginning. As followers of Jesus, this is what we do. And we know that Jesus, he holds us to a high standard. I mean, he himself says in Luke 4 that he came to set captives free. Mm -hmm. So that means that we always have to be about seeing um, where our role is in that. I also really like that the statement really um, grounds this in what it means um, as as followers of Jesus and what it means as peacemakers. You know, in the Church of the Brethren, we talk a lot about being peacemakers, and that's really important. But what does that really mean right now? Mm-hmm. And so um, I really want to say a big thank you to Harrisburg first um, and also to your discernment team, just the process that you took. I think it's a model for all of us. Um, the other thing is just in my career and life, I've seen a lot of statements. Mm -hmm. Um, Everybody has a statement. Coca-Cola has a statement. Uh, (laughs) Ben and Jerry's has a statement, which I love their statement. But at the end of the day, what is your what does this look like on the ground? What does this look like when people interact with you? Can people come visit your church? Um, Can they come to your neighborhood? Uh, These are the things we want to see. How does a statement live? And so what I love about this statement is there's some concrete examples exactly for how the congregation and the community is going to treat people, is going to treat one another. And then there's a great responsibility for their and our own education. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I'm talking too much, Josiah, but I get really excited about this statement. I get really excited um, also just to be on this Stunker Punks broadcast, webcast, because I believe this group of people here can really change things. And we're seeing that in the nation and quite frankly, the nations, because we know that every nation has responded in this time. And if we really pay attention, it's it's the younger generation, nothing about the older generation. And I'm all about intergenerational, which is what you put in here. Um, But they're really um, taking things forward. Mm-hmm. And that is great. So those are the things I know I've talked a lot, but those are the things, the concrete list of things. So it's not just so nebulous and out there. We're going to love everybody and we're going to do this. But listen, we're going to sit down and we're going to have a study together. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to learn together. So I really appreciate that about this statement. And I believe that it can live and we can see the results of it. Amen. Amen. So um, I just want to give you an opportunity if there's anything uh, further you'd like to kind of speak into this moment uh, for those who are listening. Some of them are hearing you for the first time as well. Um, And uh, we had talked, I I think probably in the future we'll do a a full on podcast just about intercultural ministries and the Church of the Brethren and, and dig into some of that stuff. But for this specific moment, uh, LaDonna, is there anything um, that, that you'd like to, to share with everybody today? Yeah, well, I, first of all, I just want to say thanks for the invitation. What I would say is the moment that we live in right now, um, it's a pivotal and powerful moment. It's a time that people have prayed for. You know, one of the elder mothers in our community reminded us this week that um, every day we pray for justice. And in our calls to worship and and in church, we have these 
great things we declare, praying thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we're seeing a shaking up um, and a shaking off of those things which bind people. Mm-hmm. So I just want to um, encourage everybody and really ask everybody to do your part. Um, one, educate yourself. Um, and I'm talking specifically about how to heal racism, how to undo racism. I want to be real specific mm-hmm. about that. And, um, and then as you do so, um, see what you're called to do. We all have a role. Maybe it's your church has a role and something you bring to the community or that you can be a help. I was speaking if I in Minneapolis at a church, Open Circle Church, um, just, um, just the Sunday after George Floyd was murdered, I was invited mm-hmm. to speak at the worship. And I really encourage them to be who they are mm-hmm. in this time. So if it's that you bring hospitality to the community, guess what? Hospitality is needed. Now is um, the time, right? <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, the Bible reminds us that we are the body and many members. So let's be that. Let's not hide. Let's not be silent. Let's not sit back, but let's be that. Um, and let's also listen in to see what's needed. Um, listen to others that might inform us on what's needed. Um, and that might challenge you. That might challenge us. But I just believe that beloved community that we're always professing um, is manifesting now, even in these difficult times. So I just want to encourage you to step out, to educate yourself, and to do something. And I also want to say that doing something may be speaking to your family members. That's right. Um, it may be speaking to coworkers. It may be um, addressing laws that are being past in your community. Um, It may be just in different ways, but we all have a role to play. So let's play it together and let's do so with the spirit of God, um, the the following Jesus and going forth as we have in the past Mm -hmm. um, and even more so now. Thank you so much for joining us, LaDonna. Again, uh, it's always such a, a great time to have an excuse to be together. And uh, thanks so much for your time. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. All right. Blessings. Okay. Blessings. Thank you, Drew, LaDonna, and Josiah for bringing us into this important conversation, for calling us into the difficult work of discipleship, which can only be achieved through anti-racism. And thank you, the listeners, for tuning in and being open to being changed and formed into disciples, bearing witness and making space for God's kingdom to flourish. I am still thinking about LaDonna's poignant reminder that every time we pray those words that Jesus taught us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are praying for every structure that supports racism to come toppling down around us. Even those that we have come to believe protect us and provide for us. Even the ones that are implanted deep within ourselves. Like the words put forward by Harrisburg First Church of the Brethren and analyzed in this podcast, 
May those words, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven, be backed up by devoted action, public commitment, and firm accountability. What are you doing, Dunker Punks? Not simply to pray for a world of equity and peace, a world without racism. But what are you doing to actually make it so? Thank you for listening. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Dunker Punks podcast. The Dunker Punks podcast is a project put together by a group of people from around the United States, forming ourselves to be disciples of Christ, which means forming ourselves to be anti-racist. I am one of your hosts, Emmett Wachowski Eldred. Jacob Krauss edits the show and creates our music. Carrick Van Azelt creates graphics. Dean Fiesenheiser transcribes our episodes. Suzanne Lay manages production. And the show wouldn't be possible without Matt Riddle or Melody Fitzgerald. Arlington Church of the Brethren hosts and sponsors the show. And On Earth Peace provides ongoing outreach and production support. You can find archives of our episodes on iTunes and online at arlingtoncob.org DPP. And you can contact us at any time at dpp at arlingtoncob.org or by finding us on social media at DunkerPunksPod. Lastly, I want to let you know that this is our last regularly scheduled episode for this season, and we are going to have more episodes when we kick off our fall season at the end of August. Um, On that note, we are scheduling contributors for that season, so if you're interested, that would be one great reason to reach out to us at dpp at arlingtoncob.org, and you can have your voice featured on the Dunker Punks podcast. Thank you so much.